Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Be careful when you rename yourself. Be careful when you re-identify who you are and who God has already said you are. Because you will take on whatever that thing is. And I can tell you, Naomi may have left Bethlehem as pleasant as can be, but she comes back as bitter as can be because she took that name upon herself. Many of us would be quick to agree that life can be relentlessly brutal at times due to sin and the fallen nature of mankind. What we do and how we react to the more trying times of life makes all the difference in the world and can heavily affect our witness. In today's message, Pastor James discusses the loss that Naomi experienced and how she let her circumstances define who she was. In his study, you'll learn that while we certainly don't downplay our suffering, we definitely don't want to be identified by it. Now here's Pastor James in the Book of Ruth, Chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. on her way home and the girls are kind of following along with her and and she says, look, I'm releasing you. You have no obligation to me at all. None at all. Go back to your homes, find find a husband, have a family. And they kissed each other, they wept loudly, but they said to her, no, we will return with you uh, to your people. This is both of them saying that. But Naomi replied, go back home, my daughters. There is no reason for you to return to Judah with me. I am no longer capable of giving birth to sons who might become your husbands, which is just a weird thought in and of itself. It's like, well, no, nobody's asking that, Naomi. Um, Nobody was asking that. They're just, they got your back. They're with you. Go back home, my daughters, for I'm too old to get married again. And even if I thought that were, there was a hope that I could get married tonight and conceive sons, surely you would not want to wait until they were old enough to marry. Surely you would not want to remain unmarried all that time. No, my daughters, you must return. You must not return with me. For my intense suffering is too much for you to bear, for the Lord is afflicting me. Okay? Or the Lord has raised his fist against me. And here's that term there, bitter. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord has, has raised up his fist against me. What she's saying there is, I've lost my husband and I've lost my two sons. I'm sorry you lost your husband, but those were my sons. I've lost my family. And she, she's directing this. She's saying, like, God's punishing me. So... You don't want to follow me because God's punishing me, right? So distance yourself away from me. Go back to your homes. Let me carry this burden all by myself, which we would think is a noble thing. That sounds noble, especially for us Americans, right? Because we are trained in this kind of mindset. You just, you carry it on your own, right? Don't bring anybody else into your mess. You need to figure this out on your own. You got to be strong. 
You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just tough it out, figure it out. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I was raised. You don't put any of your problems on anybody else. And the good old red, white, and blue were like, hoorah, that's right. You know, tough it up, you know, just figure it out. But that's not true, nor is that biblical. That's actually anti-biblical if you read the word. The New Testament has a lot to say about this. It says, you ought to come alongside other people and bear their burdens. As Christians, we ought to come alongside other Christians and shoulder whatever load they're carrying. As Christians, we ought to be humble and share our burden with somebody else. There's no room for pride within Christianity. Remember, pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven, okay? <laughs> Let's never forget that. There's no room for it within, within the church. There's not. Now, there should be a balance, okay? Because if you're always having problems and you're always needing somebody to help you, okay, there is a part of growth that has to happen. There's a part of growth that needs to take maturity, that needs to develop within our lives. But none of us are beyond tragedy, and none of us are beyond hardship, and none of us are beyond suffering. And God has placed us in little communities. The trendy word right now is tribes, right? Like we're all in tribes. Okay, whatever. We're just together. And you're together for a reason. So that when you go through a difficult season, you have brothers and sisters who are there to help you get through it, to carry you through this thing. This is hard for me because I don't like to share my burden with anybody, okay? I just don't like to. But that's because I'm very prideful and I'm very arrogant. That's how I am. I admit that. I, I have issues with that. I don't like asking for help. I do not like asking for help. Ask my wife. She will tell you. Ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> They'll know like, yeah, he doesn't. He needs it probably more times than what he knows, but he definitely doesn't like to ask for it. The Lord has been teaching me through, throughout this journey with him that asking for help is not a sign of weakness, as I was kind of trained to think of it. It's not a sign of weakness. So this is, we, we commend her to a certain extent, like, Naomi, I'm glad you don't want to like bring your daughters-in-law in on this next very difficult part of your life because now you're a widower going back to Jerusalem and it's not easy at all to be a widower living anywhere, anywhere. But she doesn't want to bring, she doesn't want to put that on them. But I, I, I love what happens because this moment, this is the moment that truly exposes who Ruth is, and what love is actually, what real love is. This is love personified. Now, love ultimately personified is Jesus. But sometimes there will be love personified through us and through our actions and our character. Look at the response. Verse 14, again, they wept loudly. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to her. 
So Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law back home. But Ruth replied, stop urging me to abandon you. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will become my people or will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I do not keep my promise. Only death will be able to separate me from you. I love that. In the New Living Translation here, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. I kind of like this New English version a little bit better on that. Only death will be able to separate me from you. This is what true love looks like. It's commitment. It's devotion. It's an unwavering, like, not just a promise, but like, uh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like a covenant that is happening here between Ruth and Naomi. It's a daughter-in-law who's become so attached to her mother-in-law. I mean, just, you just imagine that dynamic in and of itself. Like, you may have a great relationship with your either daughter-in-law or mother-in-law. This, like, blows them all out of the water, Ruth's devotion to Naomi. She said, look, I don't care. I am sticking with you, and you are stuck with me. From this moment until the grave, you will not shake me. You're not getting rid of me. We're family. You can't get rid of me. And I love that. I mean, this really, this gives us such a, a beautiful insight into who Ruth was. And I admire her so much. I mean, my goodness. I mean, just, just that tenacity of like, no, I'm not leaving. I know the easier way would be for me to go back home and to get remarried with somebody else over there. That would be the easy way, but that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to stick with you, and I will stick with you. And may God punish me if I don't go through with my word. She's a woman of, of character. She's a woman of, of, uh, of just truth. She speaks truth, like she literally speaks truth, like, and she backs it up. And we know that. We have the whole, this whole story paints this picture so beautifully for us. And I just imagine, I mean, there's Samuel probably just writing out this, this tremendous, tremendous letter. I remember reading one point in time that, um, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. He was the ambassador to France, right? Am I correct? Yeah, okay. So he goes over there. People that he was speaking to want nothing to do with the Bible, they don't want anything to do with the Bible. So he says, this idea, I'm going to read to them the book of Ruth and not tell them I'm reading the Bible. So he reads them this beautiful story of Ruth, and they're just like, they're just like so enamored by this tremendous love story. Where did you find this love story? Where did this thing, where could this have possibly come from? And he says, it's in the Bible. This ultimate love story that these, these individuals, they just couldn't get enough of. 
pure beauty on, beauty on display, love on display, is found within this story. It's found within this story. But Ruth is like, I, I'm with you. It's you and me. They don't know what the future holds. They have no idea what the future holds. Ruth has never lived in Israel. More than likely, Ruth has never left her home country. She has no idea what she's walking into. All she knows is maybe stories that were told to her either by her husband or her father-in-law or her mother-in-law. She is not worried about what's to come because she is so focused on the Lord. And she recognizes that my ministry is with Naomi. And I, she says, your God will be my God. I think in one sense, she's basically proclaiming like, look, I'm already all in. Your God is my God. I think she was already like a believer at this point in time, making this just amazing statement, this great proclamation. Verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to dissuade her. Because she was still going on about like, no, 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 just stay. No, just when she realized, look, I'm not going to be a, I'm just not going to win in this battle of wills. Okay. Ruth was maybe just very hard headed, very stubborn, which I can identify with. And I can appreciate that about her. Sometimes as Christians, we need to be a little stubborn, right? When it's for the right reason. Okay. But she knows, like Ruth knows, and there may have been, maybe there was this, this umption within inside of her that was maybe the Holy Spirit really speaking to her, saying, listen, you stay with her. And she's full on committed. And Naomi realizes, I, I can't shake this girl. So, all right, let's go. Let's go on this road trip. It says, the two of them journeyed together until they arrived in Bethlehem. It says, when they entered Bethlehem, the whole village was excited about their arrival. Here's Naomi. The women of the village said, can this be Naomi, the pleasant one? But she replied to them, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the sovereign one has treated me very harshly. I left here full, but the Lord has caused me to return empty-handed. Why do you all call me Naomi, seeing that the Lord has opposed me and the sovereign one? Note that. I mean, she's using this term. Your, your Bible may have it phrased another one, another way, but really this is bringing out the Hebrew. And that's kind of why I like this Bible a little bit, because it is a word-for-word deal, where it's, that it's talking about his sovereignty, the sovereign one, the one who's in control. The one who is in control is taking everything from me. I went out full, and I've come back empty, all because of the sovereign one. He has caused me to suffer. So Naomi returned, accompanied by her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, who came back with her from the region of Moab. Now, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which is absolutely key for the rest of the story. Timing is perfect. It's so coincidental that they happen to show up in Bethlehem, the house of bread, when, it, when, it's, the, when it's barley season. Yeah, there's no coincidences. There's none. Because remember what Naomi was saying? The sovereign one, the sovereign one, the sovereign one. He's taken everything away from me. He's caused me to come back empty-handed and all this stuff. Well, the sovereign one has brought you back into the land 
for a reason. He may allow a drought to come into your life to guide and to direct you to where maybe he wants you to get to, to a place where he wants you to be or where he needs you to be. And there may be things that you experience within this life that we can't really explain. And I don't think we should try to a certain extent. When someone loses a loved one, I don't think we should try to rationale with them of like why this could have happened. That's not really what people need in those times, all right? I think you and I understand that. Hopefully we do. But Naomi comes back. She comes back not just having lost her husband and her two boys. She's come back having lost her identity. God did not name her Mara. She put that title on herself. She took that upon herself. God, who has this history of changing people's names, Saul, Paul, Peter, Petros, right? And all this, he gives, he gives new names. He, he, changes, he changes it up. Not in Naomi's life. He never gave her a new name. She was pleasant, and she still was pleasant to God. But herself, because of her circumstances, and I don't fault her at all. Hear me out. I do not falter at all because if, if it was me and I lost my wife and I lost two kids, man, I would be bitter as well. I would be bitter as well. I do not falter. She doesn't stay Mara. Chapter four, Naomi comes back. But for a season, she was Mara. But she placed that name upon herself. Be careful when you rename yourself. Be careful when you re-identify who you are and who God has already said you are. Because you will take on whatever that thing is. And I can tell you, Naomi may have left Bethlehem as pleasant as can be, but she comes back as bitter as can be because she took that name upon herself. Again, I don't fault the lady. I can't even imagine what she's going through. But I do know this. Her name doesn't stay Mara. This word comes up again. I'm reminded of this. Uh, I remember reading through John Corson's commentary on this. And there was a, a time when the nation of Israel, the children of Israel were being led out of, uh, they were led out of Egypt and they come to this place of water. And, and, you know, there's, there's millions of these guys, and, and they, they need water, and they've been crying out for water. We need water. We need water. And they find water, and they go to drink it, and it's bitter. It's Mara is the same word. It's Mara. Well, what's the remedy for that? Well, Moses says, well, see that piece of wood? Throw it into the water. And I love how John Corson does this, and all credit to him. This is not me. This is him. I'm, I'm borrowing it, John. You can have it back when I'm done with it. But he says, how do you solve Mara in your life? You throw the cross in it. You throw that wood in it, that piece of wood. You throw that into your life. You having a difficult time with bitterness? You need to go to the cross. You need to go to the cross. And bitterness takes on all kinds of forms and fashion. And we see it. I, I'm telling you right now, we're seeing it within our nation. We, we're, just, we're just calling it other things, which, which are right, which are right to be called this. Racism, what is, it's bitterness, probably at its root. 
It's anger, it's hate, and all that stuff. How do you solve it? The cross, the cross of Jesus. Bitterness towards other people, maybe a relationship. I carried bitterness for so long in my life. I carried it for so long in my life. I didn't even know it. And I didn't know how much of it I was carrying until I finally let it go. I wasn't, I wouldn't even, I was like 30 years old before I finally, and I, that's 10 years of following Jesus, by the way. So much bitterness towards my dad. So much bitterness towards him. More bitterness than what I ever imagined was happening inside of me. And that's even with 10 years of being a Christ follower. That bitterness always resulted in, in just hatred, hatred, hatred. And then one day, I just threw a cross in there, threw a cross into that pool, cleared up the bitterness. The water became drinkable again. There's freshness. There's newness. There's freedom. It took me until I was 30 years old to experience that. It's crazy, right? But I held on to that tightly, man, and I did not want to let that go. But it was killing me. Physically, it was killing me. I was suffering from a lot of physical ailments at that time. Doctors couldn't figure it out, but I think I knew what it was. It was that bitterness. Bitterness, it's sin. I was holding on to that. I was desperately holding on to that. So I'm reminded of that story with the children of Israel, and here is Naomi. She's like, just call me Mara. Just call me Mara because that's who I am. And it's like, no, Naomi, that's not who you are. It's not. You're Naomi. You're the pleasant one. You're the pleasant one. Let go of Mara. Divorce yourself from Mara. Separate yourself from that. Throw the cross into that. Let him clean it up for you. Here's an interesting thing about this. Um, you have a widow, Naomi. You have two widows. I'm sorry, there's two. Ruth is a widow as well, okay? Going into Jerusalem. Now, um, Jerusalem has a, a, a welfare system put into place, much better than our welfare system in America. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, they, they had an allowance or some sort of a, a, a deal cut with people who own fields, okay? And we'll, we'll see this all in uh, next week with chapter two. But I, I do want to throw this out there just so you kind of have a heads up of what's to come. They weren't going to be left on their own to figure it out, so to speak, but they weren't going to be allowed to sit home and do nothing, okay? So there's owners who own fields, and when they harvest the crops, they were instructed by the law to not collect everything so that people in this situation, could go through the fields and collect and have food so they could survive. It's a beautiful system. But you have to get up, and you have to leave your house, and you got to go pick it up, okay? It's a great model, a tremendous model. What if you can't? Well, more than likely, you have a Ruth. Because Naomi's like, well, she could have gone to the fields. We don't really know. But Ruth is like, hey, dude, don't worry about it. I'm going to go for both of us. So just so we know, they're going to be okay because the Lord is so sovereign. He knows and he sets stuff up so beautifully where it just so happens it's barley season. Oh, to 
That's all we have time for today at Bread for the Broken, but we're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James continues through the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi were both struggling with the loss of people they loved. It's hard to imagine how they got enough strength to make the journey where they'd meet Boaz, but they put their faith in the Lord and found the strength that they needed. If you've ever been in a place like Ruth and Naomi, you know it's easy to lose hope, but be encouraged. God is already making a way for you. Remember to trust Him always and do what He asks, even if you can't see how the story will work out. Are you wrestling with believing this truth today? We'd love to connect with you. So visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the contact tab. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, you can find them when you visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. You'll also be able to learn more about Calvary Galveston at our website, as well as finding our location. Calvary Galveston is a church of ordinary people seeking to live as Jesus did. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. So if you're ever in the Galveston area, we'd love to meet you. Our atmosphere is relaxed, so come as you are. You can find out more and get directions on our website. Thanks for listening to Pastor James's teaching today. Know that we're praying for you, and we hope that you'll join us to continue digging into the book of Ruth next time on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of the